Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Hey man, was that some good worship or what? I hope you didn't miss your opportunity to worship our great and mighty God. Because he showed up this, this uh, rainy Sunday morning waiting for you. Hopefully you chimed in and gave him your worship because he deserves it all. I am excited about today as I am every Sunday. I'm excited about what God called me to do. I'm excited about the word of God. I'm excited about what Jesus has done for all of us. If you're excited about what Jesus has done for all of us, say amen. All right, it's time for us to wake up, get, up, get by those uh, rainy morning blues. Caleb, worship team, great job today. It's beautiful stuff. Now, uh, today's message uh, it comes from our series called Exodus on the Move. In the second book of the Bible, written by Moses, part of the Pentateuch, the first five, uh, we find uh, this amazing book where everything's on the move. Uh, people are on the move. Kings and, uh, and uh, regimes are on the move. Nations are on the move. And God is on the move. He comes up, up close and personal with Moses and then with the nation of Israel and even Pharaoh himself. And so today's message uh, reaches forward 3,500 years uh, from when it was written or when it was given. It, came, it comes from 6,200 miles away from here in a place called Egypt, far, far away. And this message dials in and pinpoints me and you on this day. And it's, a, it's, it's beautiful. I said it earlier, I, I don't try to orchestrate things, but this comes to us on the day when we would naturally uh, take communion. We take communion among other days, every fifth Sunday. When a month has five Sundays, we take communion, and then we do it other Sundays. And so it is today that we're taking communion. But I want you to see today, I want you to lean in, I want you to move in close and listen to what God is going to say to us today, because it will unlock something in your relationship, in your walk with God, in your journey with Jesus. It'll help you. Now, at the end of the service, if you already knew this was true, that's wonderful. Why didn't you help me get it? Okay? Because it really helps me see the vastness of God, the uh, multidimensionality of God, the fact that God is outside the time continuum, and what he was doing 3,500 years ago was as, if, was as if he's doing it today, because he sees all time, past, present, and future in an atom of time. And that's bigger than we can understand, but that's, we need to be reminded of who our God is. Now, we've talked about, <clears throat> over the last couple of weeks, the plagues. You see, uh, Israel's been in captivity for over 400 years to Egypt, and now it's time for them to get out. God had told them they would be in captivity for 400 years, no surprises, but they had kind of thought that God had forgotten. Sometimes we get in a place of uncomfort, discomfort, and we feel like God forgot us. God doesn't forget because God cannot forget. It's outside of, his, of who he is, his nature. And so he hadn't forgotten. He had them right where he wanted them to provide for them, to protect them, and to prepare them for where he's going next. And, and so now is the time. And so he reaches into time, and he calls out this guy named Moses. Moses had spent 40 years in, uh, as, raised as an Egyptian, although he was a Hebrew, and at age 40, he murders an Egyptian for mistreating a Hebrew. Now he's on the run. He spends 40 years in the wilderness uh, taking care of sheep. And so he learned a whole lot about sheep. And then at age 80, God calls him to lead a nation of about 2 million people approximately out of captivity. What a life. And he'll do this for the next 40 years. Now, it's into that situation, into that scenario that God is going to reveal who he really is. I want you to know something about your God. Everything that you and I ever have attempted to erect as a lowercase g 
God and put on this silly little throne of our life as significant above God, God says, I don't play that. And so God, God's going to reveal to Pharaoh on your behalf and my behalf that he is the true and living Yahweh, Lord of all. There is no other God. No matter what we pretend may be, no matter what we allow to rise up in our life, God is to be God and God alone. And so what he does is he addresses 10 of the lowercase g gods that Pharaoh and Egypt had put into place. Now, all of these are of the created order, God's creator of all things. All of these are stuff that man put together together out of things that God made. And so God's going to send them a message through a series of plagues. Now, we talked about the first nine of those plagues. We saw a bloody river because they worshiped a god of the river. We saw frog infestation, gnats from dust, swarms of flies, livestock disease. We saw boils of suffering on human beings, hail destruction, locust invasion, darkness so thick you could feel it. And that's nine of the gods that Yahweh had addressed. Now we're going to see what is the final plague. And and then God is going to demonstrate and provide a means, a protocol, so that the people of Israel can be can experience what he will call Passover. Now, Passover, we've all heard the word Passover, okay? And it's simple what that means. Are you ready? Passed over. That's what that means, okay? That's what it's all about. And what, what was called Passover 3,500 years ago, being passed over, is still alive and well and extended to you today. Look at the person next to you and say, he's extending it to you. Everybody. Everybody has this option. Now, when we hear the word passed over, it brings with it some negative negative vibes. And you'll remember uh, when you were in elementary school, uh, maybe you were passed over when they picked teams for the kickball team, for the kickball game on the playground. You know, you got like some of these athletic studs down here, you know, they're the captains. They're they're, they're your classmates, right? But you ain't good enough because they're wanting to, to get a scholarship, SEC scholarship in kickball. You know, they, they, they got the NK and National Kickball League, the Kickball League scouts coming to watch them play in the second grade, and you didn't make the cut. So you finally get on the team because they feel guilty because you didn't get picked and you get passed over. You know, and it ain't no fun. Nobody likes it. And, and so maybe that wasn't you. Maybe you move on up and you're in high school, okay, and you're looking forward to going to the prom. And you got your, girls, you got your eye on this guy. He's the guy you're going to the prom with. And this guy ends up taking your best, quote, best friend to the prom. And some of you ladies need to let that go, okay? And now, now maybe that's not you. Uh, maybe you didn't get passed over for prom. Maybe you, you're pa- you got passed over in college. Maybe you didn't get picked for the magna cum laude. Maybe like me, you graduated, thank the laude, all right? And maybe you didn't get passed over in college for the magna cum laude. Uh, maybe your Passover is entirely different. Maybe as an, as an adult, you got passed over from a promotion at work because your ditty don't own the company. And you know you're mad about it. Maybe you got passed over last Sunday. Some of y'all are going to get passed over today. You're going to go to Aubrey's. You're going to put your name down. You're going to be sitting there holding that little buzzer, anxiously waiting. Meanwhile, these other people came behind you and their little vibrator goes off first and they go to the table first and you know you were here before they were here and they know they were after you and everybody knows and you got passed over. Now you're hangry. You can't even enjoy your lunch, right? Passed over sometimes doesn't feel so good, but sometimes being passed over 
is a good thing. Example, an IRS audit. Just pass, just pass me on over. Maybe you go to the doctor and he says, you're doing fine. We don't need to do a prostate exam today. Just pass me on over. Okay? I heard this story about an old man. He turned 80. And on his 80th birthday, he says, you know, I'm going to treat myself. He went to the car lot and bought a brand new Corvette. He jumped in his Corvette and he hit the interstate. Man, he put the hammer down, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. Felt good. He looked in his rear view, blue lights, a state trooper is behind him. So you know what he did? He stomped it. Now he goes 110, 100, he's 130 miles an hour. Trooper right on his rear end. Finally, he says, what am I doing? I'm 80 years old running from the popo. So he pulled over. So the state trooper walks up. He says, a license and registration, sir. He says, but before I take them, what are you thinking? Running from the police 130 miles an hour. He says, listen, it's five o'clock on Friday. I've got places to be. If you can give me one good reason why an old man like you would be doing 130 miles an hour, I'll give you a pass and won't give you a ticket. The old man looked at him. He said, sir, I'm sorry for speeding, but a few years ago, my wife ran off with a state trooper and I thought he was bringing her back. <laughs> now, police officer said, uh, have a good day, sir. All right, he passed him right over. Now, in today's scripture, I want you to know that the greatest passing over that can or will or ever has happened is when a person is passed over, listen, by death. When death no longer can, can come knocking at your door. And I'm not talking about physical death. We all got that coming short of the rapture. But all of us don't, don't and will not have to experience spiritual death. And God is going to provide, paint a picture and provide a way for me and for you to be passed over by death because that's what we deserve because of our sin. He, he establishes something for you and for me 3,500 years ago that will carry through eternity. What God paints a picture of today is a destiny changer. And that's what we're going to see. And so in this book the of Exodus, the title of the message is simply this, Passed Over. And point number one is a grand finale. We've looked at nine plagues, and now God is going to dial it in a little bit, and he's going to send a plague, a particular plague, for a particular God. Here's how it reads in Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh. Pause. Now, remember, Moses said, I don't want to ever see you again. If you come before me again, I'm going to kill you. Moses said, as you wish. No, no big deal. I don't really want to be here anyway. And so before he ever leaves, God speaks to him and tells him the next plague. And he's revealing it. He says, after that, he will release you from this place. When he releases you, he will drive you out completely from this place. Verse 2, instruct the people that each man and each woman is to request from his or her neighbors items of silver and gold. Now, the Lord granted the people favor with the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, respected by Pharaoh's servants and by the Egyptian people. Verse 4, Moses said, this is what the Lord has said about midnight, I will go through Egypt and the firstborn uh, in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle. Verse 6, there will be a great cry throughout the whole land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will ever be again. Verse 7, but against any of the Israelites, not even a dog will bark. 
against either people or animals. And so that you may know that the Lord distinguishes between Egypt and Israel. And uh, all these, you're talking to Pharaoh, your servants will come down to me and bow down to me, saying, go, you, all the people who follow, and after that, I will go out. Then Moses went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. So that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all the wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not release the Israelites from the land. Pharaoh is standing before Moses and Aaron, but more importantly, standing before God as a picture of humanity. Pharaoh is a picture of obstinance. He's a picture of stubbornness. He's a picture of pride. He's a a picture of self-supportiveness. He is a picture of a hard heart standing before God. God continues to, to, to provide these plagues and often provide deliverance from the plague. Just simply do what I say, God says, and I won't send this plague. But Pharaoh, being just like we are sometimes, Cross his arms, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not listening to that God. Now, he is sending this final plague to the God of Pharaoh, which is guess who? Pharaoh. You see, when Pharaoh polished a gold platter and looked in it, he thought he was looking at God. He thought he was God, and all of Egypt thought he was God. They thought he was divine. It, Pharaoh has a son now who will be the firstborn, who will be the the, the heir of the kingdom. And in his bloodline is divinity. And so God is saying, Pharaoh, you and your son, you think you're divine. You're not divine. You're flesh and blood. And I created flesh and blood out of dirt. And one day you'll die, but I am God forever. And I'm going to drive this point home, and then you're going to drive the people out of your presence. God doesn't mess around. Now, in this passage, God just continues to pour out his his power and his sovereignty. This one's over life itself. You can fake a lot of stuff. You can pretend and fabricate a lot of stuff. Life and death, we ain't got that. I mean, you can close your eyes, you know. We we have grandchildren. We do that a lot. Play like we're asleep or dead, you know. You know, and they jump on top of you, knock the wind out of you, and that'll bring you back to life. But, but that's not what we're talking about. God has the power of the heartbeat. God has the power of the breath of our lungs. God is the God of life. And so he's demonstrating this to Pharaoh. I think it's funny in there. He says, he says there's going to be this wailing in Egypt like the world has never or will never hear again. Why? Because the firstborn of every family is going to perish. There's going to be some sadness on that night at midnight. But he says, in Israel, you're safe and the dogs won't even be barking. Now, I just think that's funny. What is he even talking about? Have you ever been, you ever had a dog and a, a fire truck or a police car can go down the road 10 miles away and the dog, you know, with that hearing that they have, your dog will be out there minding his own business and all of a sudden, whoo, what's, he hears it. That's what dogs do. God says, I got control of the dogs. I got it all, Okay. He's painting a picture to Pharaoh, and this picture he's painting to Pharaoh is a picture for me and for you. It is the grand finale. Now, it is an assault on Pharaoh, but more than anything, he just wants you, 3,500 years later, to know that he's God, and he's still God. One of the songs talked about he's always the same. He's still the same God, and he is. Now, point number two, 
He moves from this a grand finale to a gory foundation. Now, the word gory is a word that just simply means bloody. What God's getting ready to paint, I'm telling you, is a, is a subject, is a topic, is a word choice that our church culture around the world doesn't like to use. Blood. Everybody say blood. Everybody say, got to have it. Everybody say, I live by it. Everybody say, if I'm saved, it's because of it. Blood is the hinge pin to everything. God established that. And now he's going to paint this gory foundation of, of what somebody can do to avoid the death angel in their life. He says in Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, he says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, first thing I want you to see is the wind, the wind for this gory foundation for being passed over. He says in verse 2, this month is to be your beginning of months. It will be your first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel on the 10th day of this month. Now, as I talk about that, I want to bring a friend up here. This is Emery, and she's got, uh, and her pop may come with her, but she's got a little goat with her. She takes care of goat and sheep. She was going to bring a sheep, but sheep are stubborn. That's why God uses them as illustrations. And the, the sheep just wasn't real happy. Had some anxiety this morning. <laughs> no, funny. That's the world we live in. Even the sheep have anxiety. Okay. And so this is Emery. She's in the third grade and this is her goat. Now, I just wanted them to bring, to bring this guy up here. Yeah, right here. Okay. If I hold him for you. Yeah. Okay. What's this goat's name? Bill, Billy, go figure. <laughs> I could have come up with that myself. This is Billy the goat, okay? Now you're going to say a goat. I thought the goat was, a, was evil. No, you could do a goat or you could do a lamb or a sheep, all right? Now I just wanted you to see. Here's what God said. He just now created. You are cool, Billy. I like you. Okay, I know some other Billy's, one in the back seat. He's a little more hard to deal with than you are right there. So what happened? God says, listen, Israel. He says, I'm starting a brand new year for you. I want your calendar to start with, with Nisan. Now, some people call it Nisan. That's a pathfinder, a titan, okay? It's Nisan. And, and, and it's going to be in the spring, like March and April. This will be the first month of your calendar. And he's okay. He can just play around there. He ain't going to hurt anything uh, unless he bites me, and then we got a problem. Now, on the first, uh, this is your first month of your first year of this new thing that I'm doing, okay? And so he says, he says I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you on the 10th day of this month. Now he's going to tell us the who. He's going to say, each household must take a lamb for themselves according to their family and their household. So in a minute, we're going to find out it's a goat too. They're, every family... Uh, Emery, if you will, Marchie, oh, there he's taking care of business, right? That's a good place right there where Gene hangs out. Okay. It's okay, Emery. It's all right. It's all right. Walk him right over here for me. Now, what, what God says, he says, on the 10th day of the first month of this new year, I want you to get yourself a lamb or a goat, all right, for your family. And listen to what he says. If any household's too small for a lamb, then the man is next door neighbor to take the lamb according to the number of people. And you will make your, your count for the lamb according to how much each one can eat. 
Now, let me tell you what that means. There's going to be no waste, no need for Tupperware at this party, okay? And uh, what he's going to do is he's going to say, I want you to pick a lamb for your family. Now, historians tell us, Josephus tells us that, that a, a lamb or a goat would feed between, he wants communion, he uh, would, would feed between uh, 10 and, yeah, he's excited about communion. I'll explain that later. Uh, uh, he, what he wants to do is 10 to 15 people would, would, would eat a lamb, okay? Now, now, here's what's amazing about it. You got to put this in context. You remember I said there's approximately 2 million people in Israel at this time before being released? If 50, between 10 and 20 people are to share a lamb, then that means uh, 15 people average. That means nearly 150,000 lambs are going to be selected, okay? And ultimately, they're going to be crucified and they're going to die that very night. So God says, I want you to pick a lamb for a household. Now, put yourself in a Jewish perspective. You have watched God pour out nine of the ten plagues on Egypt and you've been protected. Now Moses is saying, this is what God said for you to do. I want you to get a lamb. I want you to get herbs. And we're going to have a dinner tonight. You know what that meant? The women all said, I'll be back. I'm going to Kroger tonight. I mean, they, they headed to Winn-Dixie. They get the stuff. I got to get some, her some herbs. I got to get the stuff. And the man's going down the stockyard or in his backyard if he had a, if he was a, if he had a, a, a herd. And he's going to provide. They know they've got to do this thing. And so we have the when and the who. Now listen to the what. Verse 5. God says, now when you pick him, he says, I want this lamb to be perfect. A male one-year-old you may take it from sheep or from the goats, okay? Now, it's to be perfect. Now, there's nothing perfect. What he's saying is, I want the very best you have. I don't want second fiddle. I don't want you, you know, your daughter to say, well, I love this one. Yeah, I love old Billy right here. Can't we, can't we go with Jimmy, you know? No, we're going with the best. Billy's the best. That's what we're going to do. And so they would provide the very best that they had. Now, in Exodus 22 and also in Leviticus, it, it, we get more details. This lamb can be between eight days old and one year old. That's the criteria for this lamb or for this goat that they're looking for. So now we have the, the when, the who, the what. Now how? What's supposed to happen now? This is why we call it a gory foundation. What God is getting ready to reveal is the instructions of what to do with these sheep or these goats. You ready? Verse 6, this is the how. You must care for it until the 14th day of this month. Now, pause. So on the 10th day of this first month of their brand new year, okay, you're, just, you're supposed to go get a sheep or a lamb. You get him. And for four days, you bring him into your house, and you nurture him. You protect him so he doesn't break anything because he can't have a broken bone. He has to maintain his perfection as best as you have. And when that happens, when you have this baby sheep or goat in your house, they fall in love with this baby sheep or goat. Look, Emery loves, I, I, he sent, Bill sent me pictures. She's riding a sheep. Just, she's riding a sheep. You can do that. Who knew? All right. Now, now, you fall in love. The family would fall in love with this sheep or goat in the four days. But on the 14th of Nisan, this is what he says, then the whole family of Israel will kill it around sundown. Now, in the Hebrew, that word sundown means sunset to sunset or sundown to sundown. In Hebrew language, it means between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. The sun is going down. The sun is set by 6. There's a window there. 
Their day starts when the sun is set. It doesn't start at 12.01 in the morning like ours does, okay? It starts between 3 and 6 o'clock. And so all of these would be in their homes, their throat would be cut, they would bleed to death, and that would begin the process and the protocol for being passed over. Thank you for bringing Billy up here, and you can take him back. Hey, show some love for Emery and for Bill and for Billy. Yeah, thank you guys. Now, now, she wasn't worried because she knew I didn't have to uh, sacrifice that, that goat today. It's just going to be, you thought this was a mess, okay? I, it would be a mess I didn't want to clean up. Now, now here's what's amazing. I'll say, tell you this. Emery's in third grade. She just recently got saved, and uh, she's waiting to be baptized, so she's beginning to understand this. And, and here's what's amazing about it. Uh, the reason I didn't have to kill Billy this morning is because we don't have to kill animals anymore, okay? We'll get to that in a few minutes. Now, listen to the gory details, okay? Verse 7 now, it's sundown. They're killing 150,000 approximately sheep or goats, Okay? And this is what they're supposed to do, verse 7. They will take some of the blood and put it on the two side posts and the top or the lintel of the door frame of the houses where they will eat it. Looks like this. Noah Brown does a great job for us. Tanner's gone to Africa, and he just put this together. So we had a a plain door. Every household was represented by a door, okay? And, and, And now every household or combination of households are inside a home. This is their door. And God says, When you sacrifice all of those goats, you take their blood, and it was a mess. Blood is thin. It runs. And they would put some on the top and some on the side, and it would run down on the ground below it. It was a mess. But God is, this is the instruction of God. Now, he says this. He says, and they will eat the meat the same night. They will eat it roasted over a fire with bread made without yeast and with bitter herbs. He goes on, he says, do not eat it raw or boiled or in water, but roast it over the fire with its head, its legs, and its entrails. You must leave nothing until morning. No Tupperware needed. There's no leftovers for tomorrow. Everything that's not eaten is to be consumed by fire. He says in verse 11, this is how you're to eat it. Dressed to travel. Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, the gory details of Nisan 14, the 14th day of the first month of the year, sometime what we call spring, these animals were to be slaughtered. They were to bleed and the blood was used to cause the death angel to pass over their household. Now, they were to take a hyssop or a, a combination of, of, of like, uh, uh, not weeds, but some kind of plant, tie it together, and that's what they used for the brush, and they were to paint it all over the door, the top and the sides. Now, it's important. Do you hear how detailed God's instructions are to be passed over? Okay, he says it's very particular. On this day, at this time, I want you to have this kind of a lamb. After having him with you for this many days, I want you to cut it. I want you to eat it and leave none of it. I want you to paint it over the door. God is very specific about what is required to be passed over by death. Yet we live in a world where we want to come up with other ideas. We want to say, well, you know, I've messed up a lot, but I've made up for it. That's not what God said. God didn't say, Israel, y'all messed up. You need to start making up for it. Let me tell you how that works. If I sin my whole life, and I do, 
okay? Anybody sinned a lot in your life? Raise your hand, okay? That's all of us, okay? And all of a sudden, we come to church today and we say, you know what? The Holy Spirit has convicted me. I need to live perfectly moving forward to make up for what I did in the past. It doesn't work that way. If I start living perfectly from this day forward, I'm just living this part of my life as I'm supposed to, holy and blameless before God. I can't do perfect extra credit to cover up what I messed up before. So God has to intervene. Something has to intervene to change uh, our situation. Something has to redeem what we cannot redeem ourselves. Something has to pay the penalty for what we've done in the past. And so God comes up with a plan. Now, it's important that they couldn't just, like if they fell in love with the lamb, and you know, I've got grandkids. I know what it would look like. Papa, can we not sacrifice the neighbor's cat or something? We love Billy the goat, right? And, and you'd want to, but it doesn't work that way. You gotta sacrifice that lamb. You, you can't tie him to the front door and him out there eating grass, and that doesn't work. You, you can't paint the door uh, lintel and side post red with red paint. It's very particular. Why? Because blood is required. Blood, life is in the blood. Now, God could have done it any way he wanted to. He could have said, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. He could have said, knock three times on the ceiling if you want me. He could have said, I'm, give me three steps, give me three steps, mister. He could have come up whatever he wanted to. That's not what he did. Because none of that contains the blood. And the blood is where the life is at. And God is painting a picture, a profoundly clear picture, that for my sin and your sin and the sins of anybody in this world to be forgiven, it requires the bloodshed of the innocent to cover the sins of the guilty. It's just that simple. Now, it's harsh, and it's brutal, and it's gory, but it's God's design, and it's not rocket science. It's this simple. Life is a gift. Death is everyone's enemy because of sin, and God made a way for it. That's it. Now, when we begin to get that, it changes how we do things. What does that even mean? Do you remember what scripture says, this is how I want you to dress for it. I want you to have your robe on. I want your sandals on. I want your staff in your hand because tomorrow I'm setting you free. You see, when blood is shed and, and you are passed over, it means you've been liberated. You're free. And he says, we ain't got time to put our stuff on tomorrow to find your sandal that your grandkids have been playing with, okay? Maybe fed to Billy the goat, Okay? You get your sandals on. You get your stuff ready because we're leaving. Listen to me. When somebody has been liberated and set free, they are no longer to stay in the prison that they've been living in in the past. And we live in a church culture where people have been, they say they've been born again. They've been rescued by Jesus and they still live in that old prison. God says, when I set you free, it's time to get your junk up and go. So get ready. Some of y'all need to hear that today. Some of you all have expressed your faith in Jesus and you're still hanging out in the old prison, in old captivity. And God says, I didn't die on a cross for you to stay there. I, when I saved you from something, I saved you to something else. And it's time that we get our sandals on and we go to that place. Now, now this is the Lord's Passover. 
This is what it is. He planned it. He provided it. He prepared the script for it. God writes the rules, not you and not me. And so now we have the who, the when, the what, the how. Now I want to show you the why. Why would God require something so gory, something so grotesque, something quite honestly so sad if you have a little goat or a sheep or a lamb? The why, verse 12. God says now, that's what I want you to do. I want to tell you what I'm going to do. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt in the same night, and I will attack all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both humans and animals. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, including Pharaoh. Listen to this. I am the Lord. You hear that? It just resonates that. All the stuff that Egypt has called God for so many years He says, I'm going to execute judgment on it because I'm over it. He says, I am the Lord. And I want you to know today, let's dial that in, in your life, in my life. God watches our life. He says, I see what you put on your throne. He says, you can do that all you want to, but there's a place in time uh, uh, where I'm going to come and, and reveal to you, that's not your God. I am the Lord. He goes on in verse 13, he says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, so that when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this plague will not fall on you to destroy you when I attack the land of Egypt. This day will become a memorial for you, and you will celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. He goes on, he says, you will celebrate it perpetually as a lasting ordinance. You know what he's saying? You're going to do this every year. This is the, this is the day that I set you free. This is the day at the end of 400 years of bondage, I'm liberating you. You're going to walk out. You're going to step into a new country, into a new place. And I'm not finished revealing my miracles. I'm not revealing, uh, finished revealing my greatness. I'm going to continue to work great things in your life. But from now on, every year on the 14th of Nisan, I want you to gather up a lamb And I want you to sacrifice it. And I want you to celebrate deliverance. I want you to do this thing every year, perpetually, every year. Now listen to me. The Jews would do that for the next 1,500 years. Every year. Hundreds of thousands of sacrificial lamb or sheep would be slaughtered as a memorial and as a blood covering for what God was doing for his people It's important. Hebrews 9.22 says this about blood. This is why God requires it. He says, indeed, according to the law, almost everything was purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It's not an option. The, The blood cleanses us from sin or we're still sinful. We're still sinners. You get that? It's required. And so, and so they would call this the feast of Passover. Now, we have, a, we have the grand finale. We have a gory foundation. All of that was given to point forward to a glorious fulfillment. You see, what God did 3,500 years ago, 6,200 miles away from here in Egypt, 
on that night, the 14th day of Nisan in the first year of their victory and freedom, it was a type. It's a picture of what's to come. So now, 1,500 approximately years later, after this first Passover feast, we land in Luke chapter 22. Now here is a guy in Luke chapter 22 who's a Jew. And he has been doing this Passover meal for about 33 years. Every year as a Jew, his mom and his dad, Joseph and Mary, would take him and they would provide this feast called Passover every year. And this year was no different, except this one would be the last one. We find ourselves on the 13th of Nisan, about 2,000 years ago, about 1,500 years after the first one, Jesus is hanging out with his boys, his 12 guys, his closest compadres. I mean, the guys that he had invested in for three years, the guys he had revealed miracles to, the guys that he allowed to perform miracles. He's with them on the 13th of Nisan because he knew he couldn't do it on the 14th of Nisan. And here's what it looks like. Luke 22, verse 14. Now when the hour came, that hour between three and six o'clock, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles joined him. Now this was a short table and they would lay on their side around this table And this Passover feast would last literally for hours, okay? I mean, it was a big, big deal. And and the flow would typically be like this. Someone would be responsible for roasting the lamb. And then they would come together, they would lie down beside the table, and they would pray. Then they would pass a cup of, of diluted wine around the table. Then they would wash their hands for cleansing, Then they would eat bread dipped in bitter herbs. Then they would sing a psalm out of the psalms. Then they would pass the cup again. Then they would teach or be reminded of the Passover found in Exodus chapter 12. Then they would pass the cup again. Then they would serve the lamb with unleavened bread. Pass the cup again, sing another psalm from the book of Psalms. Pray, and they were finished with the Passover feast. But here it is, they're doing this on the 13th of Nisan. Scripture goes on in verse 15. Jesus tells them this. He said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says, listen, I'm excited about having this Passover feast with you guys. And keep in mind, one of those had already made arrangements to betray him, to get him arrested, to be put on the cross, Judas. Keep in mind that Jesus had already washed all of their feet, including Judas's. And he says, man, I've been excited about this. This is the last one until all is fulfilled. Now, what is it about it? He knew tomorrow who John the Baptist identified as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
was going to die on a cross. His blood was going to be shed over not just a household. See, now remember, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were hiding in the bushes, right? God comes into the jungle, into the, into, uh, the Garden of Eden, and he says, where are you? He knew where they were. He was looking for confession. And they said, we're hiding in the bushes because we're naked and ashamed. Scripture says God made them clothing of skin. Most people agree what God did was sacrificed a lamb for her and a lamb for him and put that that lamb covering upon their nakedness. It was sacrificed one lamb per person. And then we get up to Exodus 12. No longer is it a lamb per person. Now it's a lamb per household. And then we get to here, the Last Supper. And it's a lamb for the whole world. It's a lamb for you. It's a lamb for me. We don't have to sacrifice it. God gave himself over as a lamb to be sacrificed for you. Everybody do this. Everybody just just do this. You. That's who it's for. It's for you. So we find what started as a grand finale into a gory foundation leads to this glorious fulfillment. And what's going to happen on the 14th of this Nisan, okay, what's going to happen on this one is everything's changing. Every right of the Jews, every religious activity or practice, uh, it's all going to change because Jesus, the Passover lamb, is finishing it. When, when Jesus said, it is finished, he said, I finished everything. I finished the whole thing, the whole religious system, all of it. I, I finished the temple. I ripped the veil into. I finished the Holy of Holies. I, I finished the instruments of tabernacle. I finished the need for you to have some priest to go to. I finished Saturday as the Sabbath. I finished it all. And here we are 2,000 years later. And just like they had the first communion, the first Passover meal of the new covenant, Jesus replaced the Passover feast with the Lord's table. That night, and from then forever forward, after Jesus was crucified, no other sacrifice is required. None. Zero. And so what we do as a church is we partake in the feast of the Lord's table. Just like the Jews would remember for 1,500 years that they sacrificed a lamb and were passed over. You and I today take communion to remember that death will pass us over one day because of what Jesus has done. God chose the spotless lamb for himself. God was the spotless lamb on my behalf and your behalf. Now it's important that we understand, and we're done. It's important that we understand, just like God had a very particular, a very pronounced protocol to be passed over. 3,500 years ago, today, 
It's a very detailed protocol to be passed over by death. Are you ready? You can't just know about the blood of the Lamb. You can't just know about Jesus. You can't have a bunch of historical facts about it. Just like Israel, the Jews, they had to be behind that door. They had to be behind the door. You have to be behind Jesus. We have this slide of this door. It's what Jesus did. Jesus, on the 14th of Nisan, the same day of the same month of the same year that inaugurated the Passover, he laid down on that cross and spread his arms. After being beaten brutally, after losing most of his lifeblood, he hung on that cross and his blood would be over the top and his hands would drip down the side. And he would fulfill everything from 3,500 years ago. And today, it's still complete. But listen to me. If I stand right here, and I know everything there is to know about what Jesus did on that cross, I can know every detail of it in my mind. It gains me absolutely nothing. Only when I personally and willingly, volitionally place myself under and behind the shed blood of Jesus on a cross, only then will death one day pass me over. See, there's people in this world that have religion just like the Jews did, and they still do. There's people who have a lot of information, but they've never surrendered. They've never just simply said, God, thank you for dying on a cross for me. I don't want to just know it. I want to be in it. I want to be under that. I want to be hidden behind that bloodshed. God, when you look at me from this day through all of eternity, I don't want you to see me without looking through your son and his sacrifice on a cross. And there's people in here that's been playing church for a long time that maybe you've just never done that. And then there's people in here today who've done that, but we forgot how our life should be yielded to a God like that. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe you're here, and on this day, Scripture says this could be your day of salvation. You say, well, I didn't come here on that for that today, and it's a rainy Sunday. I really didn't come to be saved. I, that's up to you. But if God is inviting you into his family forever, if this would be a good day to receive that. Because we're not guaranteed a tomorrow. That's not a, that's not a scare tactic. It's a reality. And I don't want you to leave today unless you know for certain that one day when death comes, you'll be ushered into heaven. You know, everybody goes to heaven. The problem is everybody doesn't stay. Everybody will stand before God, but only those who are forgiven in the shed blood of Jesus will stay in heaven forever. If you're here today and you need to receive that, you simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe on this day that Jesus died for me so that one day death would pass me over. So God, I want Jesus in my life. I want to live for Jesus from this day forward. I don't understand all that, but I pray that your Holy Spirit will come into my life and help me. I thank you for loving me enough to die for somebody 
like me. Thank you for saving me. And for many of the rest of us, this could be the day that we're just made keenly aware of what God did to allow you to be part of his forever family. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this amazing historical narrative pointing to the glory of your fulfillment. God, we know it's not over yet, but until it's all over and we're all with you together forever in heaven, until that day, help us never forget what great, what it is, this great thing you've done for us really, really is. God, for those that may have received your salvation today, I pray, God, that they will be emboldened, that, God, they will be uh, strengthened to stand strong and proclaim what it is you've done for them. We give you praise for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just like on that night, they came together, and then they would take Passover feast together, and we're going to take communion together. Now reading from the same passage where we left off, Jesus is still with his disciples. It's on this night, the 13th of Nisan, the night before Jesus would allow himself to be brutally sacrificed on that cross. He says in verse 17, then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Scripture continues. It says, In, in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Father, we thank you for your gift of sacrifice we thank you for your blood shed on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin debt we thank you God that because of what you did nothing we can do nothing we deserve but everything you did allows us the freedom to walk away from our old life into a life hand in hand with you the God of the universe from the moment we receive it through all of eternity, we give you praise forever. Now, I want you to know that the very next day, on the 14th of Nisan, Jesus would be the Passover lamb for all the sins of the world. But the beauty of the story, unlike all of those lambs before him, the story wasn't over. You see, on the third day, this lamb rose up out of the grave to demonstrate his power over death, hell, and the grave. And when we are in Christ, we have power over death, hell, and the grave as well. So what does it look like now? Some 2,000 years later, what does Jesus the Lamb look like? Revelation 5, verse 6 says, Then I saw standing in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the middle of the elders, a lamb that appeared to have been killed. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. 
And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they threw themselves to the ground before the lamb. Each one of them had a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they were singing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were killed. And at a cost of your own blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have appointed them as kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels in the circle around the throne, as well as the living creatures and the elders. Their number was ten thousands, ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands times thousands, all of whom were singing in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was killed to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be praise, honor, glory, and ruling power forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying, Amen. And the elders threw themselves to the ground and worshiped. Let's celebrate our Lamb. And I want you to know, opportunities like this come where we come together corporately, collectively to worship the Lord. And often we stand with our hands in our pockets and our lips sealed like it's got a lock on it. And meanwhile, God is saying, where are my worshipers? There's a day coming when everybody those who believe and those who refuse to believe will worship me in spirit and truth. Everybody will bow down and call me uh, rightfully the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I just say, why don't we just practice that now? We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast, and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.